When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here. The content of this first sermon, the first Christian sermon ever preached, not counting the ones Jesus preached, uh, are instructional and informative for Christian witness and theology today. Uh, Peter's sermon is personal in that he is a witness to these events, the crucifixion, the resurrection, as are all the people who are in Jerusalem as they live through these events too. So this is a an inter um, an inside discussion, a conversation among family members about who Jesus is, his identity. Uh, for people that may not have met him, Jesus is only in Jerusalem for a very short time before his death. He appears in Galilee after his resurrection, um, but he also appears in Jerusalem. But most of the people listening would probably not have been a witness to these appearances. But what Peter is doing in this pretty, I don't know, it's not that long of a sermon, but it does cover a lot of text in the book of Acts. So it's a significant speech that was meant to be preserved because it's the first one. And his argument is that the psalmist, David, he acknowledges David as the author of these psalms, um, is talking not about himself, but about the Messiah. This is not uncommon in the Old Testament to have a person like David or Isaiah or somebody talking about themselves, but not just talking about themselves, but talking about this promised one who is sent by God to deliver God's people. And the argument is made that the psalmist says that he won't die or that he will not see corruption that even though he goes down to the abode of the dead, he will not die there eternally, but will be raised up. And so Peter says, my fellow Israelites, remember it's an inside discussion, that my fellow Israelites, David can't be talking about himself. He is talking about the resurrection of the Messiah. Everything that the early apostles, Peter, James, John, others, everything they say about Jesus is referenced from the Old Testament, from the Bible that they read, the Bible that Jesus read. The Bible that they read was what we would call the Old Testament today, and they would just call that the Scriptures. There was no New Testament at that point. The term New Testament comes from the Old Testament, from Jeremiah, the new covenant, the word covenant is the same word for testament, um, last will and testament, last will and covenant. Um, and so the term New Testament is one that is, is actually from the Old Testament. 
and it speaks to the new covenant we, that we have in Jesus. But their source material is always the Old Testament. They read the Old Testament and saw Jesus and met him there. And this is the apostolic preaching, the preaching of the apostles from day one. That this person that is talked about in the Old Testament has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. There is not a lot of talk about Jesus' divinity in this early apostolic preaching. They're not talking about the Trinity. They're not talking about some other Christian teachings that come later. They're, he's talking about Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, the Messiah that is prophesied to God's people in the Old Testament. And this then becomes very personal, very personal. This is not just an abstract set, set of beliefs that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but you, he is calling them to believe that and also repent of killing Jesus. Um, and he is as much part of it as the people he's preaching to. Later, some of these texts would be used to discriminate against Jewish people and aid and abet the persecution of them. But that's not what's happening here in the book of Acts. That's not what's happening in Peter's sermon. He says, fellow Israelites, he is speaking, um, he is speaking to his own people here. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is the, the repentance that they are going to enact of not understanding who Jesus was. Again, it's not a big deal, really, in that time to not see who Jesus was. How would they know unless somebody told them um, who he was or someone showed them from the Old Testament who he was. And that's what Peter's doing. He's not trying to shame them or condemn them or anything like that. What he is doing is saying that the announcement has been made and you can be part of it. The covenant that God made with Abraham is now being renewed in Jesus Christ. And so they get to be part of this. Um, and that's where they're baptized. They're baptized after the sermon and baptism is the new sign of the new covenant, just as circumcision for the male children uh, of the old covenant was a sign of the covenant, so baptism becomes the sign of the new covenant. And it's not just for boys, it's for girls, it's for everybody. Um, and the early church here in the book of Acts starts to practice this. They still have a long way to go. They still have to figure out how to incorporate Gentile members that are not Jewish into the church and all these other things they have to deal with. But this first sermon is the pattern of the apostolic witness that we still believe today, that God has been revealing God's self to humans all down through history, and most recently through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And that doesn't negate any of the prior revelation. It doesn't mean that the, what God said to Abraham doesn't count anymore or isn't relevant. It's even more relevant now um, for Christians. 
when Christians read the Bible, including the Old Testament, we read it knowing that God is the same yesterday and today and forever. That, um, that that consistency of God means that God can be trusted. So when we ask ourselves, what do we need to repent of? Uh, maybe one of the things we, listening to this sermon by Peter, we can repent of is, is our, um, our lack of trust in God's long-term plan for the universe that we get to be part of. Um, that when we um, don't really trust God for today, we're also not trusting God for yesterday or the years before that. Trusting God means trusting Jesus who was sent by God. Maybe repentance after hearing this sermon is that um, our sins really are forgiven in Jesus Christ. And whenever we get absorbed in our shame and discouragement and feeling like a failure or that we're not doing enough or we're not good enough, that ultimately that was abolished through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That all that shame, all that guilt, all that failure was absorbed into his own life and death and resurrection. And all of that has been forgiven. That we are the people of, of forgiveness, full of the Holy Spirit. We are not good people always, or we're not perfect, or we're not uh, sinless in any way, shape, or form. What we are is people that are, are realizing our forgiveness, living in that forgiveness, and repenting of what we have done and left undone. That's the goal of the Christian life. And that is what Peter is preaching to his fellow Israelites here on the day of Pentecost. And so we also study the scriptures so we can see Jesus more clearly. We won't see him um, unless we study, unless we read. And we don't have to be experts or anything or some kind of academic scholar. Um, these early apostles were not educated people. This is said a couple times in the New Testament. They were not educated in the way that we often think of education in the liberal tradition, um, education is sort of being able to see all sides of everything. Um, Hegel was a proponent of the thesis, antithesis, and synthesis model of education. And that is pretty much how we learn in most university settings. We have a thesis, the earth is flat. The antithesis of that is that the earth is round and the synthesis of those two things is that the earth is both flat and round. We perceive the planet to be flat as we stand on it, as we walk on the road, as we bicycle. Um, and then the earth, when we get a bigger perspective, the earth is also round. Uh, I don't know if that's a great example of Hegelianism, but that is often what we're doing when we are educated. We are trying to see all sides of an issue, to understand it, to to, uh, to expand our minds. That's an important part of education. Um, and yet, these early disciples certainly saw that as important and certainly um, knew that was important. But their faith was rooted in a person, not in the comprehensiveness of their knowledge and ability to study. When they studied the Old Testament, 
they were looking for Jesus in it. Um, that's what they were doing. And they found him. And that made their faith um, in continuity with a covenant that God had made with all of humanity from, from before time and forever. And so we study the Bible not always to just learn all sides of things, which we need to do to some degree, but ultimately to know a person. It is to know the one who died for us, the one who rose from the dead for us. Amen. Today is a pretty cool feast day for, in the Anglican world, um, the feast of St. Alban the Martyr. Alban, um, his story comes from one of the earliest uh, Christian stories of martyrdom from the British Isles, from Britain, as it was known at the time, really Roman Britain, um, and is the first martyr from that that place. He was a soldier in the Roman army uh, stationed at Verulanium, Verulamium, Verulamium, um, a city about 20 miles northeast of London, which is now called St. Albans, named after him and the cathedral there. The story of his martyrdom is that uh, he gave shelter to a Christian priest who was fleeing from persecution and was converted by him. Um, Alban sheltered him, and the priest told him about Jesus. Um, that is the story that comes down to us. So this story of an early evangelistic encounter um, might have been typical of how Christianity spread in Britain in the earliest days. It really tells us a lot about um, that early missional work, um, how just living there and sheltering and telling the story of Jesus uh, brought about the conversion of Alban. He's baptized there. When the officers came to Alban's home to find, look for the priest, Alban dressed himself in the garments of the priest and gave himself up. Basically said, I'm, the, I'm him. I'm the one you're looking for. Alban was tortured and martyred in place of the priest on the hilltop where the Cathedral of St. Albans now stands. The traditional date of his martyrdom is 303 or 304 AD, although the dates 209 and 251 have also been suggested by some scholars. His, the site of his martyrdom became a shrine where people would make pilgrimages to. King Offa of Mercia, this is before there's like England, the Kingdom of England, established a monastery there in 793. And in the high Middle Ages, St. Albans ranked as a premier abbey in England. The Venerable Bede, the chronicler of these times, gives the account of Albans trial. When Alban was brought in, the judge happened to be standing before an altar, offering sacrifice to demons. What is your family and race? demanded the judge. How does my family concern you, replied Alban. If you wish to know the truth about my religion, know that I am a Christian and am ready to do a Christian's duty. 
I demand to know your name, insisted the judge. Tell me at once. My parents name me Alban, he answered, and I worship and adore the living and true God who created all things. And that's the story of his martyrdom. Today, if you go to St. Alban's Cathedral, they do a, they have a parade, and um, I've only seen pictures of this, but they have puppets, larger-than-life puppets, that are probably 20 feet high or so, that are held aloft on poles, kind of like uh, marionettes, except from the ground up. They have sticks and poles sort of with their hands moving, and their heads held up, these giant-headed puppets um, that they reenact the story of Alban's martyrdom with these giant uh, figures. So Alban, um, his witness, continues to inspire us and encourage us. Almighty God, by whose grace and power your holy martyr Alban triumphed over suffering and was faithful even unto death, Grant us, who now remember him in thanksgiving, to be so faithful in our witness to you in this world that we may receive with him the crown of life through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.